Hello, and welcome to A Smart Financial Plan, where we interview the best and brightest in financial planning research about their studies and the best practices financial planners can use to enhance the financial lives of their clients. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Pearson of Kansas State University. Dr. Pearson is a brand new entrant into the field of financial planning research and brings with him some interesting and potentially controversial recommendations with his research, including findings around retiree mobility, enhancing retirement satisfaction through changes to income, and some really interesting thoughts around asset allocation in retirement. So stay tuned for some of the most interesting and applicable research in financial planning with Dr. Pearson. Uh, well, Dr. Pearson, thank you for being here with uh, with me today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, credentials, your current professional role, and where you are and what you're doing? Yeah, and thank you, Daniel, for having me on today. You know, I've often thought that a podcast like yours would really make great strides in facilitating the bridging of the academic side of our industry with the professional pra uh, practitioner side of industry. So I'm really excited with all the great work you're doing here with this, this podcast series. Uh, so yeah, as you were mentioning, my name is Dr. Blaine Pearson and I'm a faculty member in the Department of Personal Financial Planning at Kansas State University, where I teach courses in behavioral finance, financial counseling and communication, as well as our capstone in personal financial planning. I'm also a certified uh, financial planner and prior to my journey in academia, I spent about a half decade or so in industry working at a small RIA firm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and fell in love with the teaching of financial plan and, and researching financial plan and came to found uh, Texas Tech's program where I got my PhD and then wound up as a faculty member at K-State. Well, there you go. You just went from good to great all, all in one go. <laughs> yeah. So what is your uh, your research called? And, and succinctly, what was it about? Yeah, so my research orbits around retirement and retirement well-being. And so my research aims to build out the existing research framework on how individuals can get the most out of their retirement experience and how financial advisors can serve as facilitators in that process. So specifically, I have a article coming out in FSR or the Financial Service Review that challenges the traditional time horizon approach to asset management. Uh, and I argue that there's not a theoretical justification for decreasing risk for retirees as they approach retirement. And I also um, look at other things as well for promoting retirement well-being like uh, my dissertation was on the migration of retirement, uh, or excuse me, the migration of retirees and the association with retirement satisfaction. And I also look at, um, I have a paper with another professor at Texas Tech that looks at home equity and its relationship with satisfaction and does having home equity actually benefit retirees in retirement. And so yeah, my, my research consistently orbits around how do we improve the retirement experience and how can financial planners be facilitators in that process. So what made that sort of the, the focus of interest? Was it something in your private practice before uh, getting into academia or is it something that just hasn't been explored very well? Great question. Uh, well, Daniel, if my time in the personal financial planning industry has really taught me anything. It's that financial planners are really good at the numbers side of the business, right? 
We have a plethora of softwares out there that financial advisors are, many of them are currently taking advantage of. Uh, and if, uh, you know, given a set of assumptions, can answer the question if individuals can retire. We are really good at the, the exterior knowledge of being able to, you know, based on a certain amount of spending, based on a certain amount of income and expectations and social security expectations, we can say, yes, you have a, can have an adequate retirement. However, where I see opportunities for growth in our industry and for growth in just general personal financial planning is how can we communicate the context of what those numbers actually mean? So for example, um, you know, when an individual actually makes a transition into retirement, their life is going to look completely different uh, than their years prior working. There's this almost sort of a flip of the light switch effect where new retirees have a brand new life and with that life, a different set of challenges when compared to their working years. So what I mean by that is, uh, so, for example, when an individual does transition into retirement, they face losses of, you know, daily interactions with their coworkers and others that they may have a social connection with. Um, in fact, many employed individuals will often spend more awake hours with their coworkers than even with their own family. Now, when you combine this with a loss of a sense of purpose, meaning that, you know, as a financial advisor, I want to help clients, and that's my my role identity uh, is to uh, serve clients and, and be there and help their families. Uh, so again, when we combine the loss of the social connection, loss of a sense of purpose, and now we add in the loss of a steady routine, well, it turns out this is a perfect concoction to serve as a primer that leads to uh, many retirees to have an unfulfilling retirement experience. And this is why this topic is important. Individuals who transition into retirement are likely to have worked for many long years and have worked very hard during those years and saved along the way to do so. So when an individual makes that transition to retirement, it should be a time where they, well, enjoy the fruits of their many years of long work and saving. And so this is why, you know, I decided to pursue this research topic and, and try to you know, broaden what financial planning means. It's not so much, right, yes, we can, we can answer from the number standpoint, whether or not the individual retires, can retire, excuse me. But where I think financial planners and sort of the next generation thought should be is, okay, you can retire. Now let's make sure that you enjoy the retirement. Sure. And, and I think I agree with that observation about sort of having all the tools, right? Every financial planning software is great at calculating the Monte Carlo that lets us retire. And yeah, I guess it's just permission, but um, yeah, I mean, financial planning sort of stops at the end of accumulation and, and maybe turns into a decumulation process, but we don't spend much time talking about the quality factors of retirement or uh, sort of the, the factors that go into that. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming there was not a lot of prior research uh, on sort of the transition into retirement outside of financial metrics. So there is some research and I like to call it sort of the low hanging fruit research where, you know, we've seen things like health declines in retirement um, for somewhat obvious reasons are associated with uh, having a not so great retirement satisfaction. Actually, it's um, also interesting to note that the literature shows that aging, even when health as a control measure uh, is associated negatively with uh, promoting a positive retirement experience and 
main thought here, right, is that as individuals age, even though their health may be okay, well, the individuals around them are, you know, you know, passing on. And of course, as you age, you're not able, even if you maintain good health, you're not able to um, do participate in as many leisure activities as you used to when um, you were younger and in the earlier parts of your retirement. So like I said, there's a lot of low hanging fruit when we think about retirement satisfaction, we think about retirement adequacy, but really there is not a tremendous amount of research that sort of points into how do we actually improve that? So for example, all the research, even if wealth is included as a control variable, shows that generally up to a certain point, wealth is good to have, right? Wealth provides, if anything, access to things like being in a community uh, where there are more leisure options that without wealth, we wouldn't be able to have access to. And so the way we would think about wealth here is that it gives us access. However, wealth, there is a certain inflection point and the literature shows that it's around three to $5 million where wealth actually, you become more of an asset manager in retirement than you do actually being able to enjoy that. So going back to this concept of wealth, you really don't have to receive much to have a satisfactory retirement uh, experience. Now, of course, wealth does provide a sense of insurance value where we have money in the bank, we feel happy, we're, we're satisfied with that. But again, up to that inflection point, it's not really providing us with, with too much. It's just kind of a number in a bank somewhere. And this kind of leads to, and I know this is more geared toward the practitioner audience, but this does lead to what we as researchers have come to know as the retirement consumption puzzle where in actuality, we expect that when retirees retire for, well, them to start using their saved assets and to go have an enjoyable retirement experience. But what we actually see is declines in spending in retirement compared to working years. Not only that, but we see their assets actually growing. And so we've got this kind of concept where spending goes down, assets go up, uh, retirees are building wealth in retirement, and that's just counterintuitive um, to what we as researchers uh, have come to know as the life cycle income hypothesis, which suggests that we all accumulated assets are done so, so that we can smooth out consumption through our life where, you know, we invest in our human capital early on during our working careers, we monetize that human capital and, at the, and we save some of that those resources from that monetization process so with retirement we can enjoy. But yet this retirement consumption puzzle exists. And some researchers have argued that, you know, it's, it's increases in household production. So meaning I just have more time to make meals and don't need to go out to eat as much. So I save money. Some researchers have argued, uh, well, there's decreases in work-related expenses. I don't need to buy brand new suits, you know, every year anymore. And so I have, consumption declines. Now, we also know that, right, there's that inflection point of wealth. Well, there then may be a possibility that retirees have behavioral biases and how they view their wealth as well, where, you know, you've been taught for 50 years, save, 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 and one day you'll get to this finish line. Well, it's really hard to go from that mentality to, okay, now you can spend what you've saved. So there may be some behavioral biases in how retirees view their accumulated assets. So one particular point um, 
there's a, a very famous researcher, Dr. Mike Finca, he has a paper out that looks at whether or not retirees view income as more, I'm gonna use air quotes here for those listening, as more spendable than their saved assets. And in fact, retirees do view income as having more ability to spend than their saved assets. And so this actually leads to, uh, to promote satisfactory retirement, um, the idea that, hey, actually annuities not only provide a sense of insurance that I'm always gonna get this income no matter how long I live, but also allows them the kind of shift in mindset of, of this, I'm getting money every month, et cetera, et cetera, I can spend that. And so um, that's, that's kind of, I know that was kind of a long answer to the, to the question, but that's kind of where we're at in the literature. And where I'm adding uh, value again is uh, some of the stuff I'm dealing with, um, you know, the, the risk and uh, migration and retirement and other forms of how we could promote satisfactory retirement experience. Sure. So, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned some assumptions or commonly held beliefs around this and some of the academically observed, I guess, paradoxes or puzzles that come up. So when you were starting your research on this, what hypotheses were you pursuing or, or trying to either verify or invalidate? Yes, yeah, a great question. I, you know, retirement well-being or retirement satisfaction, other than kind of the brief literature review that I just kind of provided on what we currently know, um, there's not a lot of stuff that exists. And so what I try to bring into play is, okay, what can we adapt from things like positive psychology, right? Where, you know, can we promote more experience-based facilitation of the enjoyment of retirement instead of, you know, I just have a bunch of stuff or have a bunch of wealth, you know, turns out people actually don't um, get a lot of value from that, right? The $5,000 couch that sits in the living room that no one ever sits on, you know, doesn't provide as much to our satisfaction in retirement as taking those assets and, you know, going on a, a fishing trip or going on a golf outing or multiple golf outings or, or what have you. And so I have adapted a lot of stuff from positive psychology to motivate a lot of the research. I've also um, adapted a lot of things from other areas uh, within the psychosocial um, realm to try to uh, be additive in informing, you know, what else can we do? So for example, with my paper about, you know, does home equity uh, really provide a, a resource for retirees. And so what I did in that paper is I looked at, okay, we have the sample of retirees. We know how much home equity they have relative to their, their net worth. I created just a ratio. And I looked at, does that ratio actually align with uh, a more fulfilling retirement? And in actuality, the higher that ratio approaches to one, meaning more of their wealth is concentrated in home equity, less of a satisfactory retirement, or they are more likely to have a less satisfactory retirement. So we know that, right, if we want to go out and purchase, uh, you know, vacations and other things that can facilitate our enjoyable retirement, we just can't, like, you know, take a piece of our bedroom and say, look, I'm spending this, right? That, you know, home equity is very illiquid. So what we do know, though, is there are tools that allow us to take that very illiquid asset and create it and make it liquid. So things like the uses of reverse mortgages, home equity lines of credits, or cash out refinancing, um, 
and other forms of, of, of get, extracting home equity uh, so that retirees can actually enjoy their retirement. And so I try to bring in all the different financial planning tools as well to, okay, we have this issue where retirees that have large amounts of home equity aren't actually enjoying retirement. How do we get them to the point where they can? So and that's just one example. But sure. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because there, there are some sort of holy grails in financial planning around your clients should have their mortgage paid off. They should accumulate a big pile of assets and tools. Um, obviously, there's some enormous debates about the use of insurance products in retirement and, and you know, the comparison of portfolio efficiency versus, you know, income and, and sort of the, the, the premium you pay for income. Um, but I mean, from, from your standpoint of, of as a researcher, it sounds like sort of uh, there's a lot of strong indicators that just providing spendable cash, right? Getting around that mental accounting problem and moving money from the savings column or the equity column to the paycheck column, as it were, uh, solves for a lot of sort of the financial pressure retirees are under and, and helps them with that satisfaction. Am, am I summarizing that more or less correctly? Yeah, that's that's one part of it. Also, too, I think um, you know it's important to note that even for retirees that don't have a lot of accumulated wealth, that even considering potentially home equity, that even without that large amount of accumulated wealth, that they can still have an enjoyable retirement experience, um, and it can still be facilitated through um, other forms of things like increased social interaction. Uh, volunteering, uh, other types and forms of social engagement. Um, and it turns out too, this is especially critical in times of uh, like, if one of the spouses dies for like a retired couple that um, having these things in place, regular activity, establishing a routine, um, those kinds of things are paramount in order to um, not sort of get into the trap of you know, potentially having a, a depressing retirement experience. Sure. So how do you get the information with this sort of study? Do you walk around with a clipboard in a senior living facility and ask questions or, or how do you, how do you get to some of these tougher questions? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so I use a lot of um, big nationally represented data sets. So things like the health and retirement study, the national financial capability study, um, the survey of consumer finances, and I look through that data because, right, nationally representative, large data set, it's, um, we have this term called selection bias in research, where if we do go to assisted living facility and we just gather information at that one assisted living facility, well, we don't know, you know, the one down the street uh, is, you know, maybe one that has a, like, for example, retirement satisfaction, maybe that assisted living facility has a, um, you know, a different dynamic, a different group, there's heterogeneity. And so um, I use a large data set to try to mitigate some of that, those uh, the negative byproducts of just interviewing one subset of the population. So I um, use those data sets and, and mine through those and clean the data to, to get it to where uh, we can perform our statistical analyses on them. Sure. So, I mean, what, what really surprises you here? Because, I mean, you're, you're sort of going about 
raising questions about again sort of the sacred cows or just sort of the the assumed truths so what you know in in terms of what you were looking for originally or thought you were going to find has maybe been surprising or deviated from where you thought it was going to go uh so like kind of what surprised me about um you know challenging the sort of status quo as you mentioned earlier the kind of holy grail pay off the mortgage yeah yeah so I would say that for the vast majority of retirees, there is a certain sense of homeostasis that, for example, with the mortgage case is provided whenever a mortgage is paid off, it's free and clear. However, what are you sacrificing in order to get to that goal? Like, does it mean you're not seeing family as much because travel costs too much uh, relative to um, what you've you know, been paying for mortgage? Does that mean you are um, potentially foregoing other forms of ways to get access. Again, if you think of wealth as an access tool, access to, um, you know, events or, or hobbies or leisure activities, recreational activities that provide a sense of fulfillment. Um, it's very kind of imperative in our retirement experience that we think about, okay, what do we actually want in retirement? So I'll, I'll tell you the story and I, butcher it uh, every single time, but there was this um, young man who had just finished his MBA at a very prestigious uh, school in, in the Northeast and um, went to Mexico on a fishing trip to celebrate. And he's on the boat with this uh, older gentleman that he's chartered this, this fishing boat with. And um, you know, the, the younger uh, gentleman who had just gotten his, his MBA from the prestigious um, school had looked over at this old man who just had one charter boat and that's all he did all day. The young man asked, you know, with the equity that you could get uh, from uh, the collateral of using this boat, you could potentially get two boats and have a second stream of income and increase your income. And before long, you could have five, six, seven boats and take over charter fishing in this entire region. The old man looks over at the young guy and says, now why the hell would I do that? And the young man looks back and said, well, one day you can buy a boat and fish all day. And so, <laughs> and so I think it's important to, you know, really envision like our own unique, what, the, what we as researchers call utility function for retirement. And from that standpoint, almost work backwards and seeing, okay, how do I actually get to that? And very often, I think we confuse and put a dollar sign on that amount instead of focusing on, okay, what do we want to be or where do we want to be at when we're 70, 80, you know, hopefully 90 plus years of age? Sure. So I guess what's the natural natural progression of that? Do we need to spend more time focusing on how we determine client like client utility in retirement, or you know, do do we have tools for that already? Yeah, I think that financial advisors have a really great opportunity to have right because they're working with their clients one on one. Um, there's a great opportunity to promote awareness instead of just right getting the big large data gathering packets whether virtually or on paper and entering the data into you know some some software and getting a number and saying uh yep you can continue spending through your retirement really asking the client what is it that you want to do and what does retirement look like um 
do you want to travel more? Maybe the whole reduction from, I, I think most defaults is there's about an 85% continual spending once you're in retirement or something like that. In most of the softwares. Um, so there are opportunities to, for financial advisors to apply behavioral coaching and to see how do we get retirees to one, if they have acquired wealth and have no interest in annuitizing it, maybe for bequest motives or something like that, how do we get them into the mentality of, okay, you wanna set aside this amount for bequest motives, let's view the rest of this as spendable. And how do we, again, get into that behavioral coaching and mentioned mental accounting earlier, how do we get them into mentally account for these assets now as spendable? Um, and so the awareness and, and shifting that mentality and, uh, you know, this could include things on, you know, challenging this stigma of reverse mortgages where we have an incredible opportunity to desensitize the uses of reverse mortgages um, for the retirees, right? Because there's incredible uh, stigma about the uses of reverse mortgages. So we, in, in terms of the natural progression of the research, you know, what are opportunities that we can get over those stigmas that we can look toward? Hey, look, I'm actually enjoying myself in retirement. I've worked for this. I've enjoyed it. Um, there's no reason to hold it in, in home equity or, or, or whatever. But, um, and I also think there are opportunities to explore retiree well-being that have yet to be discovered. So like, for example, I would love to get my hands on some more recent data that covers like, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic and figuring out like for retirees, how has reduced social engagement during this particular crisis affected their retirement experience? You know, I teach at K-State University and I can, I notice a very, um, you know, I don't have hard data on this, just observed data, um, a very, very large shift in mentality of, you know, and thinking about the college students, hey, look, they're giving up their college experience. Like they're not having the same college experience as other students I've taught in the past. They're not able to uh, engage and really enjoy. Well, same thing with retirees. Like they're not really able to engage and enjoy themselves and really, you know, know knowing what it's like to finally be financially free and being able to really truly participate in, in the things that they enjoy. Sure. So, I mean, you, you've covered things like, uh, you know, changing geography and retirement, potentially unlocking home equity and whatnot. But, you know, I'm, I'm a financial planner today. Uh, I, I still practice. And, and a lot of people who listen to this will certainly be doing the same. So with your research, what have we learned that I could theoretically apply today? What are the biggest tools that, that I now should have in my toolbox, as it were? Yeah, so, and, you know, I am a big subscriber to the idea where, Research is great for research sake, but if it is just research and we just have this really cool theoretical thing, uh, you know, I, I worked with clients for a long time and I, 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 would, I don't see how, you know, just working on research for research sake is really pragmatic to promoting this industry. So I'm a huge subscriber to the idea of what problem needs to be fixed and then let's research it to fix it. And uh, so to answer kind of your question um, in terms of how we take some of this research and implement it into uh, and add it to the toolbox of financial advisors is one, I would start out by saying, 
rethink the way that you approach retirement spending. You know, we mentioned earlier and talked about earlier that most defaults in retirement uh, planning software is, an, is to reduce the spending to 85% of pre-retirement spending. Why? That just seems like such an arbitrary number, but yet it's the default and the three biggest, uh, I'm not sure if I can mention them by name, but the three biggest financial planning softwares for the financial advisors on here, I'm pretty sure they know which ones I'm talking about, but you know, financial planners instead should consider just as part of their systemic retirement planning process to be intentional in their client communications about, you know, what they desire and, you know, if it's a 15% reduction in spending, okay, but like, I don't think that every single client is going to reduce their spending by exactly 15%. Uh, I think that some will maybe increase it, some will maybe decrease it more, who knows. Um, but the idea here is what can we do to focus our conversations not on hey client a is sitting across the table for me how do we uh, use our, our exterior knowledge and our numbers knowledge to, to, to show them that they can retire rather focusing on and maybe framing it in a way that's like hey look you can now buy that fishing boat hey look maybe you can now take those trips. This is what, you know, let's not view this as retirement money. Let's view this as we're taking our trip money or we're taking our, our buying our boat money. And with existing retirees, I think that also financial planners should focus their conversations on if retirees are actually having the fulfilling retirement in their current state and not just focusing on, you know, are we maintaining the steady cash income stream? And also questioning and looking at their client's financial plans year over year and seeing, wow, are they actually accumulating assets? This is, maybe they're not, um, maybe they have a behavioral, like, like we mentioned, mental account those assets differently. You know, how do we encourage them to get into more of a, let's frame this as a, let's spend these assets kind of mentality. And I also think, to that more emphasis on generating retirement income instead of generating retirement wealth is beneficial and getting that kind of mentality going. Uh, as we mentioned, the research shows that retirees view consistent income as more spendable than, than just having a big pile of money or a number in a, a bank account. So I think that kind of way I would uh, approach this to, you know, financial advisor on the street to say, what does this research do for our implications? Hey, look, in your conversation with clients, talk about the retirement experience. Don't talk about the retirement. Very nice. Well, Dr. Pearson, uh, thank you for being with us today and sharing with your research. And I know uh, I personally and probably many others look forward to what you find next. Thanks. And thanks for having me on. Best of luck with the podcast. Thanks.